Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And yes, this is Grounded. I am Melanie Walker and it's all things fabulousness here. Even if it's a bit chilly, it's all good because there's one of those things about nature. It just doesn't give up, does it? Michael Rickoff. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome back. <laughs> Nature is happening. I mean, I saw something on TV the other day. It was a golf tournament I was watching, and the guy said, we're expecting weather today. <laughs> well, thought, isn't that yeah, something that happens yes. every day? <laughs> so, yeah, nature is also like that. We're expecting nature every day. We are. Yes. There's one thing I do enjoy about the cold weather is that I get very into soups and stews, making them and eating them. Yeah, and it's quite exciting. I mean, I have to go to the groceries. Mm-hmm. All the grocers, you know, not the supermarkets, the grocers. Mm. And they've all got these lovely packaged soup greens, which you can't help but buy, you know. And then you take them home and you think, what am I going to do with all this stuff? And then you add the beans into the one and the beef into the other and whatever. Mm. So you make, as you say, I mean, there they are just waiting to be purchased. Purchased, eh? But the thing is, is that I did realize that, you know, there's certain things that you can't kind of make that are really, really nice in summer. So, I mean, one doesn't want to be chewing salad at this time of the year. It has to be hot, which means that my avo and garlic soup is out the window until spring. Yeah. Because you can't heat that up. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. It's it's quite funny, though. You know, you talk about that, but in summer, people have a cup of tea when it's hot and they say it's refreshing. Mm. I don't mind having an ice cream in winter. One of those things. <laughs> but okay. then it's me. But ice cream's <laughs> one thing and food is another, I guess. And uh, actually, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about food about slow food cooking, which is what stews are about, and about our indigenous vegetable heritage and to come and enlighten us about all of these various different things. We have Melissa de Below from the Slow Food South Africa movement. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm great. Thanks. Hello, Melissa. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Now, whenever I look at Melissa's page on Facebook, she is all over the world. And I sometimes think, isn't that kind of counterproductive? You know, I know it's a worldwide movement that everybody's doing, but then I start thinking, and, and most people would think slow food, it's got to be something which is grown in your backyard, which means that you can decrease your carbon footprint, which is not what it's actually about. Okay, so that's the one thing that everybody would think of that we must disabuse. You know, from my personal point of view, Melanie, I'm a Philistine here. So when Melissa told me about slow food, I pictured escargot or something, you know, food that's not <laughs> going very fast. And I thought, well, you know, what's the point of that? I can catch it. And that's not going to help my diet, but okay, I'm, I'm making Michael light of it. Michael is lithe like a cheetah. Yeah, so we're, <laughs> ma- we're making light of it, but you know, I honestly didn't really know what slow food means. Okay. So, you know, I would like to know what is slow food. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about well, it. Well, let me explain. Slow food is an international grassroots food movement that started in Italy. So the Italians are very precious about their food culture. And it started with uh, a very famous fast food franchise deciding to open a branch near the Spanish steppes in Rome. So when the Italians heard about it, they really, really decided there's no ways this is going to happen. No ways. And so they kicked up a fuss. They took it to court and they won. Mm. So and from that, the slow food movement was born about 30 years ago, and basically it is a movement that's in opposition to fast food. So, so it's not just about escargot. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what it is, it's about 
the recognition of traditional food cultures and not letting people kind of get drawn into this fast food convenient culture when we live these sort of expedient lives and things have to happen very quickly. You pick up your sort of burger on the way home or your pizza. It's it's about getting back to traditional foods, mm. cultural foods, foods that your grandmother used to cook, your grandfather used to grow in the backyard. Mm. The small farmers grow in sort of rural villages. And it started in Italy 30 years ago, and that's what they rebelled against, if you like. And over the last 30 years, somehow the concept of slow food has mushroomed into a vast network of food communities around the world in mm. about 160 countries. So it's an international food movement now. I sit and I think about how my dad used to talk about scrumping, going and scrumping apples, and then they'd make scrumpy. That's where scrumpy, the name came from, because you'd go and steal apples from next door oh. and make cider or whatever. My grandfather making elderflower and elderberry wine. And the fact is that, you know, people these days, they think that food, as one of our ministers, I believe, said, does not come from a farm. It comes from one of our local shops. Uh, we can go and buy it, okay, which is not the case. So I think people have become very much out of touch from where their food comes from. Apart from those of us who, of course, are very keen on growing our own, whether it be herbs at home, vegetables at home, that kind of thing. But one burning question, and I wish somebody would answer, what on earth did Italians eat before all the explorers went around the world and brought back tomatoes and chilies and potatoes and gnocchi and pasta? I don't think they even know themselves because uh, they've admitted to me that uh, slow food cuisine as it is today would not exist without mm. the Colombian exchange and explorers traveling the world and collecting all these things. There are very few cuisines in the world, in fact, not just Italian, mm. that wouldn't exist in their forms that they are today. It's traditional foods. With haggis. Well, who knows? And maybe. <laughs> okay, now we. <laughs> yes. Here's the thing. So. Now you're talking about slow foods and you're talking about going back to our roots, excuse the pun. And then they're going to be the people standing there saying, but you know what, I just don't have the time. I mean, this is why I do fast foods. This is why I grab a burger because I don't have the time. So where do I make the extra time? Does that mean we change our lifestyle? Is it knock on? Yeah, I think to some degree you have to. You have to make a conscious choice. Mm. And whether it's through buying veggies from your local farm stall, it's really not that difficult. Although, you know, local farm stalls aren't as common as they used to be. I mean, the fast food chains are your local farm stalls these days. Mm. Um, it, starting to learn to know where your food comes from and asking those questions. And once you start getting to know your local farmers, grow a few of your own veggies in your backyard, whether it's just a few herbs or some tomatoes, become a really good heirloom tomato grower. And that just makes you so excited to get back in touch with that. Your enthusiasm just grows from there, and then it, it becomes a part of your life again. Yes, there may be the odd bad day where you really, really, really have to stop and get takeaway, but uh, just start becoming more aware of mm. what you eat and asking the questions about where your food comes from and where your food comes from when you dig a little bit deeper into what's involved in making Fast food, you might start changing your mind pretty quickly about, you know, what, what fast food is. You know, raising the Amazon exactly. forest to grow beef, for example. Well, that's, that is one of the reasons why back in the early 80s, I actually started boycotting 
one of the fast food chains over in England. There's a whole group of us who went on this whole mission about actually refusing to buy. And to this day, I still have not bought anything from that particular chain. Absolutely. It was huge, the amount of, of rainforest that was actually being decimated mm -hmm. because they needed to have place to grow beef. But the thing is, it's, this is not just for vegans or vegetarians. Oh. The slow, slow food movement also includes your beef producers and other meat producers as well. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And one of the themes in slow food is slow meat. Mm. So slow meat does have a sort of component in South Africa. It is big in South Africa because we are heavy meat eaters. Mm. And what slow meat entails in South Africa would be your, your free-range grass-fed beef, your free-range chickens raised on natural, non-GMO grains, mm. um, you know, those kinds of things, which I think are fairly well known in this country, but obviously your local supermarket doesn't necessarily sell those things. Mm. But once one becomes a conscious customer and decides to maybe explore the little butcher shop down the road who does sell free-range beef, then once you start eating that free-range beef, you don't want to go back to, no. to supermarket food. So it's an incremental thing. Michael, like you were asking, it takes a bit of time, but once you start getting into that way of life, it just becomes your norm. I think basically some of us are probably slow fooders already. Exactly. Um, because, for instance, in our family, we, we only buy free-range eggs, for instance, or free-range chicken. We refuse to buy the others. And there are some huge department stores. You go into them, you cannot buy a free-range product. Definitely. You, you can't buy free-range eggs in some places. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. So... Maybe the message is, well, we, we won't buy here then. And we're quite happy to go to our local butcher. We support our local grocer. We're very fortunate to have a very good one close to us. But then it becomes also, you know, to my mind, I'm starting to think about the explosion of markets. And we go to many more markets than we used to go to. And But they're existing and they're growing. And people are, are becoming, you know, this is the thing. I want to buy a homegrown or homemade products. I just think about when living in London in the 80s, okay? Broke. Young used to go to the street markets. And those were all people who were growing their own produce as well. It was expensive then to actually go and buy from a supermarket. So it was always great just to run down to the, the, the street market like in Fulham, where I lived, and go and grab something for dinner on the way home. But the, the one problem I have now is that you go into the shops and everything that's kind of healthy for you has become more expensive than junk food. Yeah, that's no excuse, I think, but maybe it is because organic farmers also have to go through rather rigorous mm. legal loopholes or poops rather that increases the cost of their production. You know, you need special fertilizers that are organic and only then do you qualify as organic. And that's what people are wanting, but they are more expensive, generally speaking. Unless you grow your own, of course. Unless you grow your own. So maybe at least try and grow some of your own. Mm. And yeah, and I think that the more demand we create or choose as a customer what to buy, not what to buy, um, maybe as, as there is more demand for organic, then, you know, the argument is that prices might go down. I mean, you don't know, but mm. it's hard to tell. I think they will. I, yeah. um, I, it's happened in, in the gardening industry where some people are even phasing out chemicals. But five, six, seven years ago, when organic products became sexy, they were massively expensive, two, three times the price of chemicals. But that has changed. And the organic products are getting a lot cheaper. So I think you're right. And I think if people just stand by it and just bite the bullets, 
Um, we will get it right. It's about, you know, ultimately we as customers or consumers of organic foods need to basically vote with our wallets. Mm. And if it means you can't find free range eggs at this shop, well then suck it up and don't buy the eggs. Rather eat something else that is organic. Mm. You know, maybe one has to be a little bit more hardcore mm. and principled about it. And eventually the shops will recognize the demand. As Michael said, I mean, the, the gardening industry has really gotten on board mm. as well. Mm. We think about what you could buy in the way of fruit trees kind of 10 years ago compared to what you get mm. now. I mean, there's nuts and dragon fruit and mangoes and every kind of little berry that and purely mm. because people have been asking for it. So therefore, the people who have got all of the nurseries or garden centers have gone to the growers and said, this is what people are wanting. So the growers are taking cognizance of it as well, because we want to be able to grow our own stuff in our back garden. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a lemon tree. If they've got a garden, they've all got a lemon tree. Well, no garden is complete without a lemon tree. This is indeed true. And even if you have it in a pot on your balcony, there's still space for a lemon tree. Oh, yes. I mean, I remember in Italy, they had little lemon trees this big, but sort of a terracotta pots. Yeah. And terracotta Everywhere, pots. Yeah. She was and showing about like about two foot tall. Okay, no, these ones were like <laughs> half a meter tall. But isn't it weird? I mean, I give away my age when I say I believe, I feel like we come in full circle because I can remember when they weren't big supermarkets and we were young and we had to go down to the local greengrocer in Parkhurst mm. or the local butcher and we had our milk delivered in, and, and in put bottles. a coupon yeah. in your bottle and there were no plastics. Yes. So it's almost as though we're coming back and there was an apricot tree in every garden in Parkhurst, for instance, yeah. and there were quinces and there were pomegranates all over the trees. place. Yeah. Oh, two different plum trees. Yeah, the so there were fruit trees and people mm. did that and then we stopped doing it. And it's almost like as though we're saying, wow, you know, those were good days. Mm. You know, I think instinctively we've, over the past 20 or 30 years, lost touch with nature. And I think there's this call in us to get back to that. And and I think that's how a movement like this is going to grow. The more people who talk about it and get back into planting lemon trees and fruit trees, it is. Incrementally, it's happening. It's happening. And more and more people are opening this discussion. <laughs> okay, so when it comes to slow food, I mean, the slowest food, obviously, talking in terms of distance, is from your back garden into your own kitchen. Absolutely. From soil to soul. Yes. From fork to fork. Or fork to table. Well, yes. Oh, that kind of fork. All yes. Right. yes. Garden <laughs> fork to the fork you eat with. Yes. Okay. I see. <laughs> and that for me is still one of the exciting things. I mean, I don't think the younger generation have really hooked onto it quite yet. I think the older generation remember when they used to do it. We are remembering when we used to do it and thinking we must bring it back. And now it's time for us to teach everybody else in the world that eat what comes from your area. But when we talk about eating what comes from our area, African foods are very different to European foods. Yes, they are. Well, the traditional African foods are grown by subsistence farmers, generally speaking, in the South African context. And the traditional African foods are pretty much not available on the table. And the problem that it's created is sort of up-and-coming middle classes moving away from their traditional foods and their traditional ways. And Mm. that's one of the biggest dangers in Africa is that there's this need to be part of the growing middle class and it's aspirational to be eating at fast food restaurants. Mm. And it's actually quite sad that that people are moving away from their traditional foods. Um, So 
we need to revive that. And those, because those foods are healthier anyway. Absolutely. But I mean, the one thing, I mean, I know that you're involved with the rainbow yes. maize thing, but yes. wasn't maize originally from South America? Yes, it was. So how did it become such a staple here in South Africa? Millipup and all of that. Okay. It's the same story as what you mentioned earlier about the Italian cuisine. And, mm. you know, Italian cuisine wouldn't be Italian cuisine without tomatoes from South America. Yes. Same story here. When sailors started traveling the world and picking up veggies and seeds here and there and carrying it with them on their ships, the theory is that the Portuguese sailors, when they circumnavigated Africa, mm. there's this sort of Bartholomew Dyer story who in the what 1652 16, something like somewhere that. somewhere around there yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the theory is is that's when maize landed in southern africa there are other theories that it came across to west africa through the slave trade but in southern africa it's most likely that um it came with the Portuguese sailors. So what are some of the actual traditional, we're going to get okay. into the rainbow maize because they're amazing, okay. yeah. but what are some of the traditional vegetables that would have been here in South Africa? I mean, I, I immediately think of mdumbe. Yes. Well, I will, mdumbe, I think, came from, possibly from Asia. I think mm. the Indian community have claimed that it did travel from there to here, but then it just becomes absorbed into local cultural dishes, just in the same way as maize did. Mm. Um, in terms of indigenous products, indigenous to Southern Africa or Africa, generally speaking, we have the sorghums, which is, you know, amabele porridge is a very commercial variety available in the shops, which is not as tasty as the traditional one. And then there's millet, which is also an indigenous African grain. Mm. So even those lost popularity because maize was easier to grow. And when maize landed on these shores, it's kind of displaced our indigenous grains. Some of the other indigenous grains, I think those are the, the two main ones. The one thing that originated here is you may have heard of a makatan, which is a watermelon. Oh, really? It's, yeah, Citrullus linatus. Okay. You know what that is. <laughs> Those <laughs> lovely, big, pink, juicy things that you get in the shops. Yes. It is endemic to Southern Africa. And this, this is where watermelon originated. And in the Makatan, as they are known in one of the traditional languages, I can't quite remember which one, is more of a bitter watermelon. Mm -hmm. And it's used to make jam. Well, they um, had that. You're right. Because they have that one in the Kalahari called the Tsama. That is the same thing. The same thing, yeah. which is. Extremely bitter yeah. and eaten by the Hinsbok. Then, of course, the yams, because I know there were a lot of roots, especially among the sand people. Yeah, the tuberous plants. Yes. A lot of tuberous yes. plants and, and meat. I mean, it was kind of really staple up there oh. in Kalahari because there's very little else. Yeah, as far as the tuberous plants go, I think, you know, because we get our food from commercial farms, things like tuberous roots are quite a mission to harvest. And you cannot... Mm make a living as a farmer. And those things cannot really be grown commercially either. So that's also one of the aspects of traditional foods that are quite difficult to encourage people to get back to those kinds of foods, even though they may be healthier or are sort of traditionally revered. You know, I think we kind of lose sight of the fact that they were never commercially viable exactly. in the first place. It wasn't a commercial thing. No. It was a subsistence yes, thing. Yes, people always grow it at home, yeah. 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 It's always been a hunter-gatherer kind of absolutely, thing. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah. you know, where do you draw the line? I mean, obviously, you know, if that's what we ate, we would have none of those tuberous roots left because they would be over-harvested mm. because, you know, it often boils down to population growth as well. 
Well, you talk about boiling. I mean, look at the staple foods around the world. The staple food like potato, for instance. I mean, that's also something that never came from anywhere that we know. That's also, I think, came from the South Another American South side. Another South American thing. Think about how big it became that it actually like precipitated the immigration of thousands and thousands and thousands of people from Ireland when they had the Great Potato Famine because they had nothing else to eat. Mm -hmm. it was, it's like well, completely mad. That's because they only grew potatoes and they yeah. only grew one variety of potato. For some reason, I think the government at the time in Ireland, I think meat had become too expensive so people mm. couldn't eat meat. Maize had stopped being imported into the country for some reason. So all they had was potatoes and because of the potato blight, they killed their food. So they had to leave. So that basically means we are where we are. Mm. The foods that are not necessarily sort of indigenous or endemic to us mm -hmm. are not really what we can really aim for. So we have to go with what has become staple, and that becomes traditional, I guess, naturalized if you like. And, and then slow food doesn't necessarily mean it's slow to get to the table, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Because that would be the connotation for people. Slow food has a sort of bigger meaning than, you know, whether it's indigenous or not, because food culture is always evolving, particularly now in a global society. And I think society was more global years ago if Italian food is influenced by Chinese noodles and Peruvian potatoes or whatever it is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but slow food is actually more about principles when it comes to food. And the mantra of slow food is to be able to produce and consume food that is produced in a good, clean and fair way. Mm. So it's about principles at the end of the day, not necessarily. And health. And health. health well, yeah. good has got to do with good quality, flavor and health. And then clean would be food that's um, GMO and not harmful to the environment, doesn't have pesticides, for mm. example. And then fair would be that the producer of the food would get a fair price for their produce or, you know, sort of artisan bread maker who uses stone ground flour mm. for his bread would get a fair price for that. And then the consumer at the end of the day must also not be charged more for organic than Absolutely. for conventional. So it's not just a, a big melting pot here, it's a big cooking pot. And we have rainbow maize for a rainbow nation, which I like. I mean, it's not a monoculture thing. It's not GMO. It is one of these things. The rainbow maize is also one of those things that can ensure a food crop for the future because it's quite easy to grow, isn't it? Very easy to grow. And those are the kinds of maize, being a traditional maize that has been around, say, 400, 500 years in the country, it's indigenized to South African climate. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of fairly, you know, they're more resistant to drier times and compared to the newer varieties. And we're learning that slowly but surely. Mm -hmm. uh, but those you can save your own seeds from. And grow again. And grow again. And share. And share. And that's also one of the other big themes in slow food is where you can save money as well. Grow your own seeds. Yes. Keep a few seeds for planting next year eat some of it. So yeah, it's a fantastic vegetable and it's delicious. It's like one of those old school tasting mealies, you know, the ones from mm, yeah. that granny used to boil in the pot <laughs> that you could really get your get teeth, teeth into. into yeah. and, and, and it's got a nice sort of leathery coating with creamy flesh inside. They actually are quite different. <laughs> uh, next question from my side. I mean, what is the attitude of the fast food chains? I mean, has there been any resistance and backlash? Not that I know of. Not I think, all. you see, 
something like a slow food movement is not seen as a threat. It's more a way of life for us. It's a way of life. You're still going to have everybody going and buying fast food, unfortunately. Yeah, and if one's going to create this food revolution of people reintroducing healthier traditional foods into their diets, it's going to take a long time Mm. to get out of this fast food mindset. So how can people get involved if they wanted, apart from just growing vegetables at home? Okay, well, if you want to get involved in the slow food movement, you can donate money, of course, which, keeps, <laughs> <laughs> which is the boring stuff, but some people only have time for that. In South Africa, or you can start a slow food community. There already are a few slow food communities. Join the regional slow food community mm-hmm. if you don't want to start one. That's actually probably the best way to start. And and does that then give you ideas of where to go and buy the food from people who are involved in it? Yes, yeah? yes. Like, for example, we've got sort of grass, you know, the felt-raised Karoo lamb community, mm. which is a bunch of farmers who raise their sheep in the felt. And you could join that community, perhaps, if you're a farmer who does that, just get involved there. And these farmers support each other and work out how best do we market our free-range lamb. Um, there are all sorts of different communities. In the Cape, for instance, there's the foraging community who forage from the Feinbos mm. and from the sand dunes. There's a wonderful thing called June spinach, which is free. Go and sort of play on the sand dunes and pick your spinach. I can just see you turning into Hugh Fernley Whitting store, wandering <laughs> around the country, finding all these things and making these amazing salads. Yeah, yeah. So look up the slow food communities. If you go to slowfood.co.za, there's a lot of information there and see what people are doing. And that might just trigger your imagination to even start your own new community. And then also just be aware of where your food comes from. You know, even mm. just buy from the local greengrocer. That in itself helps. Every little bit helps. Anything that doesn't have too much packaging on it. That's true as well. Thing. Yeah, that's yeah. actually one of the new campaigns of Slow Food is no waste. Yeah. Which means in terms of when one apple goes frot in your packet in the supermarket, people will not buy it. And then it gets thrown in the bin. And there are more people becoming aware of it and taking that food mm. and doing something with it. That's also one of the Slow Food campaigns is what do you do with waste so-called waste food that's perfectly good and one day after it's sell by date and uh the slow food youth network have taken Mm. this on and yeah it's all great stuff yeah well we can find out more about that by as uh, melissa said going along to slowfood.co.za finding out what their whole mantra is about i like to say mantra because we have to get people into it it's a mindfulness thing michael Always. Yeah. That's what we do. We I know he eats, he goes and hugs trees and eats out of his garden, as do I. Melissa, Ooh. thanks so much for coming and joining us and for sharing a bit of this with us. Thank you. And uh, we'll catch you again next time. Until then, Michael, thank you. Stay grounded. Bye-bye. Thanks. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.